1: We're in 2 Peter. We're looking at verses one, or chapter 1, verses 19-21. The title is Pay Attention. Have you ever had it, as we talked about last week, where you're trying to tell someone something and they challenge your word and you say, listen, I was an eyewitness uh, to this event. I, I, I saw what happened. I know what happened. I saw it with my own eyes, but yet then they still question you. And so then you try to take them to something that written that shares with them maybe a news account, other reporters, and they still want to challenge your account. That's what's happening here. Knowing that his death is near, <clears throat> Peter urgently calls upon his rights and responsibility as an apostle of Jesus Christ to remind them of the believer's responsibility. And get this, you, haven't, you and I have a responsibility to pursue godliness, That is what we are called to, be holy as I am holy. Scripture is replete with that from Genesis to Revelation. pursue holiness, pursue godliness. And over the past two weeks, our passage has dealt with Peter as he's answering one of the objections, the teachings of the false teachers. They were teaching or objecting to that Christ will return. They said, no, we deny that Christ will come again. These false teachers are countering this teaching by the apostles that Christ would come again by charging that the apostles just made it all up, that they just, they just want to take control of you. That's, that's why they're teaching this. <clears throat> the children of God, they said, should just live and let live. They should be able to pursue whatever makes them happy. There's no coming judgment. Life will go on as it always has before. We'll live. And we'll die. So between those two points, between that dash, so to speak, or in that dash, then you just need to live life and enjoy it. The American dream captures that, right? It's the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. And I have to say, many times the American dreams run smack into Scripture. Peter here asserts his right as an apostle, to remind them of the importance of the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. He knows that this doctrine is an essential truth that has implications for how you and I live. The powerful return of Christ as king serves as a motivation for godly living. It serves as strength to endure ser- strength, uh, enduring suffering and persecution. It serves to give us hope in battling our sin and serves to give us comfort in the knowledge that Christ will return and bring us to himself and that we will be with him for eternity. It is with these words of Christ, Paul says, the words of Christ's return, that we are to encourage one another. So when we're here, one of the ways that we encourage each other is to say life does not go on as always. Christ is returning justice and righteousness and peace will once rule in the world again. This wonderful and important doctrine cannot be neglected, denied, or downplayed. It must be embraced and taught and shared by God's people. Now last week, Peter pointed out that he, along with the other apostles, were eyewitnesses to the transfiguration of Jesus In which God, the Father, declared that Jesus was more than just a mere teacher, but that he was the Son of God. The second coming of Jesus gives us hope and encouragement. We saw that the hope of Jesus, that the the, the hope that the second coming gives us is the hope that just as Jesus was transformed, so will you and I. We read that in our opening uh, call of worship, that one day we will be transformed, we will appear as he is. The hope to endure the suffering and hostility in this world. That there will be an end. And the hope that death will be defeated. That life will not continue to go on as history has. That eventually death will be defeated. And the dead will rise again and live with him for eternity. One of our passages today as we look at 19 through 21 of chapter 1. Peter states that not only were they just eyewitnesses to the transfiguration that unveiled the glory that will belong to Jesus' coming, but they had something even more reliable, the prophetic confirmation of the glorious truth of Christ. So with that, let's read that passage. Second Peter chapter 1, 19-21. Peter writes, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would be with us as we open up these pages. Give me strength, Father, through this cough and other things that are weighing me down. I pray that we would get through this, in a way that glorifies you, open up our minds and hearts to the truths that are found here in your word. Enlighten us, encourage us, strengthen us. Give us a new sense of re- renewed commitment to your word. And we thank you so much. We pray that you would be with us during this time. In Christ's name, amen. Here we read Peter's second argument <clears throat> against the objections of the false preacher, or teachers. He writes that the prophets have written that the Messiah would would return to reign as king in righteousness and justice. Peter is giving two responses to the false teacher's accusations of denying that Jesus is coming again. One was the eyewitness testimony and then the Holy Spirit inspiration of prophecy or as the creators of the Bible project state, we saw Jesus exalted as king of the world which fulfills the promises of Scripture. In arguing that their teaching is not myths, but a reality that's rooted in the personal testimony, Peter also reminds them that the truth of Jesus' return is based on the prophetic word, which he emphasizes is more fully confirmed. Let's look at three points from this passage. Three things that we're actually to do. <clears throat> Number one is we need to pay attention to the word of God. We need to pay attention, <clears throat> excuse me, to the word of God. Look at verse 19. He says, "We have the prophetic word more fully, fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention." Peter points out that though they should accept his toast testimony out of respect for his position as an apostle of Jesus Christ, there's something even greater. There's something more accurate than his eyewitness account that verifies his teaching that Christ will come back in power. Israel had been given the Old Testament scriptures that included prophecies that contained both the curses and the promises of God. So the question we might ask, well, what is the prophetic word that's more fully confirmed? Well, it consisted of the law, the prophets, and the writings. Peter points out that what he and the other apostles witnessed was prophesied in Scripture. He's referring to the psalmist and the prophet Isaiah, whose words the father quoted when he said, This is my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. Listen to him at the transfiguration. Peter and the apostles had taught that the Old Testament prophecy had been confirmed by the incarnation and by the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. They all had predicted it and Jesus had fully confirmed that these words were true. But they maintained that there were more prophecies that the Messiah, that Jesus, who would once again return as a king to usher in the kingdom of God here on earth. These prophecies had not been fulfilled, so the apostles are teaching that the Messiah will come. Yes, he came once as a meek king. We did not recognize him. We did not accept him, and we crucified him. All of this was prophesied in the scripture, but yet there are still things that have not yet been fulfilled in which he will come again, and he will return in power and majesty to reign as king. Second question I ask, as we are to pay attention, is well, how long are we to pay attention? For you and I, paying attention can be very difficult. Some of you have already probably went into dreamland and all the other things that we've gone here. So, bringing you back with me. Well, it says, it, it, it say why or why should we pay attention? I'm sorry. The question is, why should we pay attention? Well, because it illuminates our paths and it opens up our blinded eyes. He said, pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. And you can put the imagine, you know, you're here and you're very, very dark. And you're trying to, you cannot see anywhere. You don't know what's to your right, to your left, in front or behind. You don't know what's above or below. All you feel is this ground. And as you're making your way out with your arms, all of a sudden you see a light in the distance. And you start making your way to the light until you get the light. And then you're able to see around you. He paints this word picture of the Bible, the prophetic word of the scriptures as a lamp that shines in a dark place. He wants his readers to understand that the scripture is more than just a rule book. It's more than just a manual or record of history, but is the very revelation of God that informs us of God's purpose and his plan and his path of salvation, his path of reconciliation. For all of mankind, humankind, people kind, whichever kind you want to use. It's his path. Psalms 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The proverb says, for the commandments is a lamp and the teachings a light. If you take your attention to the monitor. Hebrews chapter 4 gives us again another great picture as we examine what is the word of God. Why should we pay attention to the scriptures? The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and it's active. It is not a dead book. It is not full of dust and irrelevant information. But it's living and active. He says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul, of spirit, of joints and marrow. And it is so sharp that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is the word of God that cuts through everything and gets right to the heart of the matter. He says no creature is hidden from its sight. There is nowhere that you can hide from the word of God. You can dismiss it. You can deny it. You can make fun of it. You can rewrite it, but you cannot hide from it. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word that the the apostles have been given to these elect exiles of Asia Minor. And what we're finding is that these false teachers, like Satan, are trying to drag people's eyes and hearts away from the word that is fully confirmed. Sinclair Ferguson, he's a pastor and theologian. He writes that God reveals himself in the pages of the Bible. He speaks in its sentences, and he does so in order to bring us to trust, to know, and to love him. It is only through scripture that you and I found salvation. And so as we look at scripture, we think of it sometimes as just a book, but it's more than that. It is the words of life. As disciples said, who else should we go to? Who else has the words of life? We've been talking about Christi- uh, pilgrim's progress. Again, I would encourage you, we showed today there's a movie you can watch, but the book But again, he finds the word of God as at once it is a burden, as it shows us our sin, it shows us our need for God, but it shows us how we can have deliverance. The false teachers we see here are denying the very teachings of Scripture. So pay attention, Peter says. Why? Because it illuminates your mind. It illuminates your heart. Without it, you are blind. You're in darkness and you'll be lost. I dare say there are many friends and family members, and neighbors who surround you in your sphere of influence who are blinded, who are lost in the darkness. And they need the word of God. Do not be ashamed of the word of God. Hold it dear. Put it in a prominent place within your house. I remember when we were young, one of the big things to do in the 70s was to put scripture on your walls. There was always, you could buy these frames with scripture and we would put them all over your walls. Kind of mirroring the, the, uh, the, 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 the charge to Moses and Israelites to put the words of God around yourself, on your hand and on your forehead and around your neck and on your door place. place. Or Is your home, is your life marked by the word of God? Let it be so. And then back to the question I had asked earlier. For how long should I pay attention? Again, you and I, we struggle with that. We have short attention spans for the word of God. We begin to to open it up and read and we get tired. We get daydreaming. We get all sorts of things. How long are we to, to walk in this way? The Christian life is hard. It's difficult. It's challenging. How long must I read and obey and live out the word of God? Well, until the day Christ returns. Peter says, pay attention, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Until the day of the dawn refers to the day of the Lord when Christ returns. The prophet warned that the day of the Lord would be a day of judgment for those that had rejected God. Now I want you to hear this because it's important for you and I to hear this. Many times we read these scriptures and we just bypass them because we say, well, wait, I've got my insurance card. I don't need this, but I need you to hear what the prophets say in the words that are more fully confirmed. Isaiah says this, wail for the day of the Lord is near as destruction from the almighty. It will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart, he writes, will melt. They will be dismayed, pains and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another, their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make a land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Ezekiel would say, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, wail, alas for the day. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, which which signifies uh, judgment. It's a time of doom for the nations. Joel, another prophet, would say, Alas for the day is here, Or, or alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. And I can give you one more, Amos, where he says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for you will not find salvation in it. Now, why would I share these verses with you? Because these are our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, those that do not know Christ are bound for destruction. The prophets declare it. It is fully confirmed you and i need to be motivated when we think about the doctrine of the second coming because if christ comes there is no other chance salvation will not be made available his offer will be taken off the table but not only is it a day of judgment but he also prophesied that the day of the lord would also bring salvation So for you and I, it's a day of bitterness, but it also is a day of joy. In Malachi, he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And the writer of Hebrews gives us these wonderful words. So Christ, who has been offered once to bear the sins of many, Will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, for judgment will come, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So, how long should you pay attention to the word of God? Until the day comes. He says you are to eagerly await him. So, I'd ask you today have you been eagerly awaiting? The return of the righteous king. It is a day of judgment, but it is a day of joy. For you and I, we're to pray for, we're to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. But in the same way, you and I are probably saying, well, Lord, don't come yet. There's others that do not know you. Don't come yet, Lord. I want to get married. Lord, don't come yet. I want children. I want grandchildren. Lord, don't come yet. I haven't enjoyed all that this life has to offer. Well, that's the cares of this world. The parable of the soil says that type of thinking is a type of thing that will take and just crowd out the gospel. That's the mark of one who's not a true believer. Now to have a heart and say, but I want my mother to come to Christ. I want my friend to come to Christ. Well, today is the day of salvation. What are you planning for the rest of your day? What did you plan during the week? I'm sure you sought your entertainment. I'm sure you sought your own time, your quiet time. In which time was the day of salvation? The return of the Lord is coming near. And it's the false teachers who want to deny it, who want to put it off. Unfortunately, it's too many Christians who are not paying attention. And our hearts are not eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. So I challenge you this morning. Pay attention. Be awake. For the day of Christ is nearer than it was yesterday. It's nearer than when you woke up this morning. See, the day of the Lord is when God defeats his enemies and vindicates his own. It's a day of judgment, but it's a day of salvation. It will be a day of bitterness, but also of joy. Let's increase our joy by paying attention now, doing the work that God has called us to do. He speaks of the morning star that arises in our hearts. That morning star is Jesus. He's the Messiah. Numbers 24 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel as he's prophesying of the Messiah. In Revelation 22, Jesus says of himself, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And you and I can understand when he talks about the morning star arises within our heart. For you and I today, for those of us who profess Christ, we are those. The heart or the morning star has a rose in our heart. For Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We shall see him. We shall be like him. We shall know him. But you and I now our hearts have been lit. We are no longer in darkness. So you and I need to pay attention to the word of God that's been fully confirmed for it is true and it is real and Christ is returning again. Peter then says not only pay attention, but he also says trust the scriptures for they are produced by God. We're going to look at verses 20 and 21. And we're going to be looking at it in a different way. First, he says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture was produced by the will of man. Now, when we think of the prophecy of Scripture, the question we might ask, what is the prophecy of Scripture? Well, this includes both the Old and the New Testament. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to 2 Peter. You're there, I assume. Look at chapter 3. We'll look at this more fully when we get there. But in this letter, Peter will refer to Paul's letters as part of Scripture. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verse 15. Peter says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also writes to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now look what he says, and this is some humbleness from Peter. There are some things in them, speaking of Paul's letters, that are hard to understand. Amen? I'd agree. Which, he, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction. As they do what? Other scriptures. Peter is saying, is, is Paul's letters are, are comparable. They are other scriptures. The writings and the teachings of the apostles serve as the foundation of the church. You and I are not to approach scriptures as if, now listen to this, we are not to approach scriptures as if the words of Moses are more important than the poetry of Psalms. We are not to take the prophecies of Isaiah and believe that they are more more relevant than the story of Ruth. And we must not think that the words of Jesus in red are more authoritative than the writings of Paul. For they were written by God, the Holy Spirit through man. For he says, for if no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Going back to verse 20 of chapter 1. Peter here stresses that the scriptures were not just the mere musings, the thoughts, or the wisdom of men. But they were inspired. They were the very words of God. Paul makes the same point as you look at the monitor at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Where he writes that all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out is that word for inspiration. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pastor and theologian Martin Lord jones points out that the phrase carried along here when he says that we were carried along by the Holy Spirit is the same phrase that's used in Acts chapter 27. And I want you to turn to Acts 27. For in that passage... We find that Luke records that as Paul was on his way to Rome, remember he's arrested near the end of Acts by the Jews. He is now, says, I appeal to Caesar. So he's taking a a ship to Italy, to Rome, and they find themselves in some very bad weather. They are despairing of their life. Having a tough time steering the ship and afraid of being shipwrecked, the crew goes about doing all they can to keep the ship afloat. In Acts chapter 27, look at verse 13 with me. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they have attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Creek close to the shore. So here they were their anchor and say, okay, we got a gentle wind. Let's now try to move. And they're moving along the shoreline so they can keep track of where they are. But look at verse 14. But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. They lose control. There's no steering the ship. Like an El Nino effect comes and just fills their, their sail and it just begins to take them and they just kind of let go and says, well, we're carried along. What can we do? They're in the ship. They're doing what they can, but for the most part, they're going wherever the wind takes them. Peter uses this same phrase to describe the collaboration between God and man in producing scripture. When he says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, that's what he's referring to. It's the same word. It's a collaboration. They may be in the boat, but they are being moved by the wind. As God breathed out his words, he used their own personal style, their own language, and their own talents in writing. We see that clearly in the styles of Peter and Paul and James and John. They were all different. Their themes are different as well as their original readers. So he says that the prophecy was not produced by the will of man. They might have wrote it, but it was not their own thinking. It was breathed out. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit who would speak through them. So you and I are to pay attention. Why? It's not the mere wisdom of man but the very words of God breathed out. He says, knowing this first of all, knowing that the will of, that this is the word of God that is breathed out, that we're carried along. He says, knowing this first of all, you and I are to approach scripture as the authoritative, infallible, inerrant revelation of God. Pastor Lloyd-Jones states that the prophecy and predictions of scriptures are not the result of human insight and human understanding. We must understand this. This also impresses upon us, you and I, as we pick up the word of God, the importance of accepting the word of God, the words of God, the scriptures as the inspiration of God. It is to help us, as Scripture told us earlier. It's for, profitable for teaching to telling us what is right, what is wrong. It is profitable for reproof to tell us what we did wrong. It's for correction to tell us how to get right and how to stay right, which is the training in righteousness. We need to see the accuracy of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. All that you and I need to know about God and who we are in the plan of salvation is found in God's word. You do not need anything else. Commentaries are good, we use them. Teaching studies and study books are good, we use them. Other books written about the Bible are good, but in the end, it is the sufficiency of Scripture, all that is there. And then the necessity of Scripture, for without it, we'd be as blind men, Stumbling our way through life. You and I must be a Bible church. We must be Bible men and Bible women. Bible parents. We must be Bible employees and employers. For God's word is breathed out by him. Looking back at the prophets of the Old Testament, you see this understanding. When they write, Thus saith the Lord... The burden of the Lord is upon me. Or the words of the Lord came upon me. In other words, they did not speak of their own, but they spoke by the will of God. There's a burden, there's a compulsion. I must say what he has given me. Jeremiah continually tried to quit on God. He kept trying to punch out, but God said, no, you're going to do this. Jeremiah lived a difficult, difficult life. I encourage you, read Jeremiah. It's a wonderful story of God's love for his people. Full of cursings, but yet blessings. Billy Graham, who died this past week, boldly proclaimed to millions, the Bible says, the Bible says, one of the things I liked about him is that how he started. Not what Billy Graham says, not what the philosopher says, not what Plato, or Aristotle, it's not what this says, but the Bible says. You and I would do very well when people seek our counsel, when people seek our advice, would be to report, retort back, the Bible says. The Bible says. Hope is only found in the words of scriptures, for they contain the promises of God to a desperate people who are lost and need him. Pay attention, he says. Why? Because not only did God write the scriptures, but this is where I want to park this morning. But it's God who also correctly interprets them. He says no prophecy of scripture comes from the will of man. But also, he says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Interpretation. And so with that, Paul now is cutting into the knife of the false teachers. This is where he's pointing to them. You see, the false teachers accepted the word of God, but here is where their error was. The false teachers wanted the churches to ignore the teachings of the apostles. Now, their opposition was not so overt as denying scripture, No, but aimed at denying the interpretation of the apostles. The apostles were not teaching their own doctrine. They were not teaching out of their own wisdom, but interpreting scripture and then applying it to the life of believers. And so what the false teachers were doing was not doing something to scripture, but denying it. They were twisting the interpretation. They argued that the apostles' interpretations of the Old Testament prophecies were wrong. The false teachers denied Christ's return. That is not what the Bible says. They taught that history and life will go on as it always had. Therefore, there is no need to pursue holiness or to live godly lives. Their mantra was to enjoy life to its fullest. Drink deeply of the well of all the pleasures that the world has to offer. Let us have liberty in our lives. This philosophy of life would be captured by many but most famously by James Dean, who is said to have proclaimed, live fast, die young, and have a good-looking corpse. This error, error is not that they were false prophets, but false teachers. Now get the point. They were not false prophets. They were false teachers. That's what Paul or Peter calls them. They rejected the apostles' teaching and sought to reinterpret scriptures to fit their agenda, which was to pursue the pleasures of this world. And I think if you're with me now, you're starting to see how this is happening today. The difference between false prophets and false teachers is that the first false prophets, they want to bring you a new word from God, a new revelation. God told me, or God gave me a dream, or I had this vision. Something that is not in Scripture. Whilst false teachers bend and abuse Scripture, they work much like Satan, who at the Garden of Eden led Adam and Eve into t- temptation, not by giving them a different word, but by sowing doubt into the truth of God's Word. Did God not say? See what he was doing, he's reinterpreting God's Word and denying what God said. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of the fruit that you will become like him, like God's. See, that's what a false teacher does. They don't come up with new words. They just try to reimagine what the interpretation says. They try to reinvent what the words truly meant. He works to create doubt on the earth, or excuse me, doubt on the earth, but doubt on the truth and the goodness And the love of God that's revealed in his word. And this is exactly what false teachers do today. Let me give you an example. False prophets. Those who say they had a a, a meeting with God and God gave them a new word. Let's think of Muhammad and Islam. Let's think of Joseph Smith and Mormonism. Let's think of those like uh, uh, Sarah Young's Jesus Calling, the book. Very popular. Jesus speaks to me, and I dictate his words. She has a new word from God, and there's many others. Turning on the TV or looking into the news, there are many who would claim themselves as prophets. They are receiving new word of God, as if the Scriptures is not sufficient. There is that you don't need it; you just need what we need to say, what we have. Now, false teachers, though, it's more subtle. These are people like Joyce Myers and Jen Hatmaker and people of the word of faith, proponents of prosperity gospel. There are those that take and just try to reinterpret the word of God. They won't they don't necessarily deny it. They just deny the interpretation. For them, it's what it means to you and I. And you and I know this. I've been in Bible studies. I'm sure that you have where you take a portion of scripture and you read it in a group. And then you look around and you say, OK, well, what does that scripture mean to you? What does that scripture mean to you? What is God telling you through that scripture? And out of the 10 people, you have 12 interpretations. What do you do with that? And then you walk away all then trying to argue your view and then you walk away feeling either smug that you won the argument or like, what in the world just happened? I'm more confused than I was before. The Bible says God interprets scripture. Let me share with you, there will always be false teachers who distort scripture for their own purposes. False prophets, listen to this, false prophets are easy to discern. I got a word from God. God told me, hey, I met God at the mountaintop or here's this prophecy, you and I can just go to the the grocery store and pick up a copy of the Inquirer for prophets. They're all over the place. But false teachers are more difficult. That is why Peter is urging his readers to pay attention. Because false teachers are in the pew. They're Sunday school teachers. They're deacons. They're elders. They're preachers. There's those that discern the wind and figure out which way it's blowing. And then move the church towards that. Today we have a host of reinterpretation of what has been settled uh, teaching of the scripture for over 2,000 years. Those things have been fully confirmed. We now have a new reinterpretation of what marriage is, of what gender is, or the value of human life when it comes to abortion or euthanasia. We have a reinterpretation of what creation is, who Adam and Eve are, or the veracity and reliability of the Old and New Testament. And you and I understand this, and we see this, oh, Scripture does not say that. Did God not say this? And you and I are are, are tossed to and fro, for we haven't paid attention. You and I know that it just takes a little bump to get us off the road sometimes, where we're not paying attention. I'm afraid there may be some of you today that has accepted some interpretation of Scripture that is not of God. And your life and you're living your life and you have your mind set on things that will bring you happiness and joy that is not from the word of God. We see this reinterpretation when people just say, well, God just wants me to be happy. God doesn't want me to live with this person. God doesn't want me to, to not have joy in life. God wants me to have all the good things in life. We take scripture, and you and I are guilty of the same thing. We bend and abuse it for our own agenda. We reason with ourselves. But pay attention, Peter says. Scripture is not up for someone's own interpretation. Both the original writings and the interpretation came from God. And the apostles' interpretation of scripture came from the Holy Spirit. They are not making stuff stuff up as they go along, but are servants of the Most High God who are commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And that great commission settles on you today, on your shoulders, if you've turned and trusted in the Savior. You and I, as we were reading with Randy the scriptures, we see this very clearly as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. They thought they knew what the scripture said. But they don't understand. The one that they proclaimed was the Messiah. Why is he dead? They say he is now risen. We don't understand what the scripture means. But what did Jesus do? He reinterpreted for them. What scripture. Excuse me. He interpreted rightly. What scripture truly meant. When he says. And they were writing of me. Who? Who? Moses, the prophets, and the writings. They all predicted that I would come, that I would be crucified, and that I would die. That I would rise again. And not only that, he says, I will come again. As we saw, the angel said, why do you gaze up in heaven? For as he he goes, he will return again. Jesus said that it opened up their eyes to see scripture for the first time. Now, since this is true, is the third point. You and I must pay attention for scripture is fully confirmed. It is the word of God. It is for you and I to understand and the Holy Spirit interprets scripture for us. Since that is true, I want to give you three things here and it's on the monitor. Maybe four things looking real quickly and I'll give them to you. Because these things are true and I want you to understand if you truly believe in Christ and trust his word, You must pay attention to his word. And if these things are true, then you and I must courageously protect the scriptures. For there are those who will minimize the scripture. We have people in divinity schools, people who are seminarians and theologians who are denying the very word of God. They want to minimize it. But Pastor Mike McKinley writes that the word of God stands at the center of the church. Churches gather in order to know God and to be in his presence. Why are you here today? Just so I can feed you? Just so you can get something out of it? There's much more. We're gathering as his presence. He is here with us this morning. He goes on to say, nowhere does the Bible say, that you and I should seek or expect to know God through ecstatic visions, impressions on the soul, a prophetic word, or dreams. You and I must courageously protect the scriptures, for there are many who will diminish it, thinking that it's not enough. God, he says, may sovereignly choose to use such methods of communication from time to time. But the normal way that God speaks to you and I today, how he shows us what he's done, How he reveals what he's like and what he wants from us is through his word. And God's church comes in contact with his word through reading it, preaching it, and hearing it. So you and I must courageously protect the scriptures. When you hear one said, I have a word from God or God told me, it's time to protect the scriptures and gently bring them back. What those words mean. And you and I use those words sometimes cares, carelessly. I find that most people, when they say, I prayed about this and God told me, what they've already told me is I already won the argument. So you and I must courageously protect the scriptures. And we must also vigorously submit to the scriptures. For there will be those who dismiss it. The evangelist Paul Washer. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, must we diligently labor to not only study the scripture, but also submit to every aspect of our lives, its doctrines, its wisdoms, its commands and precepts? Must we really do that? That's what the false teachers are saying. You don't have to live godly lives. You don't have to pursue holiness. Well, what's a rhetorical question asked for? No, of course you must. I'm sorry, yes, of course you must. How you and I approach scripture and its interpretation determines our worldview and how we choose to live. Thirdly, faithfully pass the scriptures to others, for there will be those who will neglect it. Is the Bible enough? Yes. The life of the church is directly connected to our commitment to the Bible. We've already looked at this verse before where Paul says, what you heard from me in the presence of many pass on to other men who will be faithful to trust it to others. And number four, you and I must correctly interpret the scriptures. That's why I'm thankful for other elders. I'm thankful for that as we come together as a church, as we have our articles of faith. That's what we're trying to do with the New City Catechism. As we bring ourselves and say, here's what scripture says. We must be on the same page. It's not for you to interpret what scripture means. It's not for you to interpret. But we come together understanding what God has given us. For there will be those who will misuse and abuse the interpretation. Let me close with this verse. It's here on the screen. I think it's on the screen. Is it, Jake? It's not, I meant to. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Write this down. This, is, this ought to be underlined. If you were in Iwana, you have this memorized. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because you've rightly handled the word of truth. Awana, approved workmen are not ashamed because we rightly divide the word of God. What is he talking about that? He's talking about interpreting scripture understanding its truths. Peter's admonition to his original readers applies to you and I as well. You and I are paid attention to the wonderful words of God that declare that Jesus will come again in power as king to reign in majesty and power, bringing justice, righteousness, and peace. Amen? That is our joy. That is our encouragement. That is our comfort. He will come to separate the sheep from the goats, granting rewards to his faithful servants and swift punishment to those that have rejected him. So my fellow believers, pay attention. Let the words of scripture warm your hearts as we await the coming of Christ. Let us protect, guard, and hold on to the word of scripture. More fully confirmed, trusting that God loves us and has given His revelation to us. If every head bowed and every eye closed, somebody to ask the worship team to come up. You need to understand that Scripture is a special revelation of God, and it details all that you and I need to know to understand and obey Him. It lights our path; for without it, you and I are lost. You also need to believe that they are the words of life. They tell us how a lost sinner can find Christ, for how one can escape from destruction and find the joy of their creator. God wants you to desire his word more than any other thing in life. Knowing that the words are difficult and the word can be harsh and will call you to deny yourself, to run from youthful lusts, To embrace the cross. Would you pay attention? What sin are you harboring? What sin, what enjoyment, what philosophy of life are you harboring in your heart because you think that it will give you what you want? Do you desire his word more than all those things? For God wants you to submit to his words, to its precepts as it points to his promises and principles that are found in the person of God. Would you pay attention this morning? For those of you who do not know Christ, would you come to salvation? Why would you not choose Christ today? What does tomorrow hold for you? You're not guaranteed that. Why would you wait a few more years? What else do you want to attain for yourself that will just be lost when Christ returns? Why would you not choose Christ? Would you choose him today? He's calling. Choose him. Pay attention. For his words are the words of life. Would you come to him this morning? Would you pay attention? Would you embrace it? Father, we just come before you and we ask for your grace to come upon us. We stand here, Father, humbled At the presence of your word, fully confirmed, breathed out by you and given through the Holy Spirit, interpreted so that we may embrace it in no life. Father, I must confess, as I will confess for the rest of us, that I have not held true to your word this week. There have been times where I have dismissed it, denied it, walked away from it, and fought with it. Father, it demands of me things, Father, that sometimes are very difficult. I have not always paid attention. Humbly Father, I confess. We repent. We come to you and ask, would you please strike my desires and fill it with a desire for your word? Let's love it. Let us embrace it. Not just as a book that we just read and check off and say, oh, I got that passage done. But we would look for it, for its promises we would pay attention to the curses that may affect those that we love. May it change our lives as we pursue holiness and godliness, as we eagerly await your return. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. Prepare us for that day. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangefilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing your review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangefilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.